you so much for joining us on the road less traveled games new series we're doing this with your story and network capital and the idea is to really break away from old notions of success and following the regular path and tell people really try something interesting it will get you somewhere you know in the idea of really aspirational stories and who better than you i think you've had an incredible journey and um, before I ask you my first question, I want to actually tell you about the first time I heard of you. Uh, I think it was around 2008 and I was Googling, uh, actually trying to stalk my current boyfriend. Uh, and I will tell you who he is after the conversation has been recorded. And I came up uh, and, and it showed up this story by Miss Malini. And it, it, by the way, it had, didn't have very flattering things to say about him. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it was, it was quite. And, and that time he wasn't my boyfriend, so I didn't mind so much. But I thought, gosh, I love how she writes. It's so engaging. So never mind that this story wasn't what I wanted to read. But I thought how you engaged was so refreshing. And, and, but, and even at that time, I must admit, while I found the story interesting and I then kept looking out for your stories, I couldn't wrap my head around where you were headed with this. I think you were so ahead of your times, almost like what Shraddha and your story had going, right? So from then to see what you've done with it is really, really cool. So Malini, my first question to you is, what was that? I know you, you know, you've been an RJ, you've been a backup dancer, you've done really cool stuff. But what was that moment that you said, ha, huh, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur? Was it one moment? Well, first of all, thank you so much. And I am so curious to know who this person was, and I'm sure you'll tell me later. I think, you know, for me, um, people often ask me this question about, you know, did I know and what was the moment? I really didn't have a plan to be an entrepreneur at all. You know, I started my career as a professional backup dancer. I used to dance with Sukhir. Uh, I worked at MTV in their digital content when content had just kicked off online. Um, I was a radio jockey, like you mentioned, for a good nine years. And, you know, I used to write a gossip column in midday. That kind of was the first iteration of the blog, in a sense. Then I moved to Channel V and became their digital content head. So I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur, per se. And the blog was something I just started because I love writing. And like you said, I really like to write from a personal tone of voice. I always wanted to write a book. So it was kind of like the beginnings of that. Uh, and I, you know, it started to evolve as something that was a passion project. And that's why I often tell people the reason why I feel that the blog was successful is really because it didn't start off as a business. And a lot of influencers today, I think the mistake they make is they become influencers thinking, okay, this is going to be how I earn my money. And then they often have to compromise or it doesn't really come across as authentic as it could. Um, so it really wasn't planned. I think the turning point into becoming an entrepreneur was when I realized that this was such a big business internationally already. You know, there was a lot of uh, bloggers like your Perez Hiltons and Just Jared, mm -hmm. Pop Sugar had taken off. And in India, it was very nascent. It had just about begun. A lot of people didn't know what a blogger was. They didn't, you know, really even have YouTube channels. I, in fact, moved to Bombay before Facebook existed. So you can just imagine it was a very wow. long time ago. Yeah. And 2008 was really the time where the blog began. And I just, I realized I loved doing it so much that even though I had two other jobs, I'd do my radio show, I'd work at Channel V. The great joy I had was to get home and then blog till like two or three in the morning. And that's where I realized that this is really what I love to do. Turning point wise, I think it was when uh, a company approached me to say, hey, we'd like to buy your blog and you can continue to write for it. And I was like, wow, hang on. You know, this is something mm -hmm. that there's millions of web pages. Why are they so interested in mine? Maybe there's something to it. And that's when I sat down with my then friend and, you know, co-founder, Mike Melly, who was just helping me field all the incoming emails. 
and my husband who then you know was my boyfriend at the time before he even you know uh, had joined the company said you know there's something here and why don't we give this a shot and i remember at that time saying if you guys are in it for the long haul then i'm going to do it otherwise i don't want to do it alone and so then we went from being a hobby blog into something that was more of a digital magazine so we covered bollywood and fashion and lifestyles and later beauty um and then you know the fact that digital content was so new that brands were not really buying content online you know it was yeah. always the last interview when it came to bollywood celebrities it was the very small extra budget um even when it came to content it was the extra footage from a video shoot and then it really evolved and it changed over time and i guess peak moments would be things like when we broke a big bollywood story when we started off as a you know a gossip blog yeah. but after that there's been a lot more since we evolved even though the blog is the mothership we create content agnostically across platforms we got into five seasons of television uh, i wrote a book we started doing podcasts for savan so it was sort of multimedia media it was like content for the young millennial entertainment content and i saw it starting to evolve as a business when you saw a lot of other influencers start to pop up seeing that there was a brand for it, you know there was a appetite for it and people always ask me you know are you worried about the competition and i said no this is a great because unless there's an industry there isn't really any money in it you Absolutely. know you have to actually have enough players that it becomes viable uh, and then in 2012 we raised our first round of seed funding with people like uh, rajan anandan who's the head of google india uh, and various other players there and i guess from there it was just sort of up and you know the rest is history no and of course that's that's an amazing story right and you really were following something that you started off as a hobby and yet because the the context of this conversation is also about those early days but i want to talk about the early days from when you realized this was going to be a business it was no longer a hobby blog and then before you know it you have a fully fledged business and you almost don't have an opportunity to make it a hobby again because you're then employing people you've raised funds tell me about those first 100 days malni of when you realized this was big. hey you were going to make it you were big you'd raised funds you had people you'd employed but there must have been some struggle some fears some moments when you said what was i thinking well i mean i think the interesting piece is that this industry didn't exist so you kind of got to make it up as you went along mm-hmm. um and you know i really enjoyed being my own boss in the sense that i don't think i could go back to work under someone else again because yeah. i dictated my schedule i got to do a lot of interesting things and i always say no two days are alike for me you know there'll be days when i'm out doing interviews or meetings or meeting investors and there'll be others where i'm sitting in pjs on you know my sofa and writing um So I guess the struggle really was because there was no benchmark to follow in India it was mm-hmm. am I doing the right things how am I explaining to people the value of this like for us and if you ask my business partner Mike it was really trying to explain to brands the value of digital now it's like a no brainer everyone yeah. you know knows they have to have a digital strategy at that point it really wasn't something brands were even looking at and you know so we kind of opened the door where now it's a lot of brands their 100% strategy is online especially if you look at times like now with covid nobody is driving down looking at billboards anymore you know and a lot of you know a lot lot of less television consumption in that way all the ads are targeted at you through your social media through yeah. digital influencers so i think it was just a a combination of those things that were kind of exciting but at the same time you know you face it with little trepidation that am i doing it right how do i convince people it was really hard to find talent as well like i you know because the writers you get in media tend to write slightly old school for newspapers mm-hmm. or magazines but my whole ethos was always to write like i spoke so i wrote almost like 
I did my radio show as if I'm talking to a friend. Um, and I think mm -hmm. that's kind of what resonated. But again, finding people with that voice is very hard. So I ended up actually hiring my entire team off Twitter at that time. You know, I'd say I'm looking for writers. And my logic was that I need people to create content who also consume that kind of content. Mm -hmm. So people understand that tone of voice. Um, and in fact, one of the girls has been with me from eight years, for eight years wow. now, who I hired off Twitter, Rashmi Daryanani. So I think those were the main struggles, but it was just a very exciting time. You feel like you really have nothing to lose. When I started out, you know, I, I had quite a good career behind me already with MTV and Channel V and Radio One. So I always knew I could go back to working somewhere else if I wanted to. Um, but my husband and I sat down and talked about it and he was working at Nomura and investment banking at the time. And I said, you know, I really just want to do this full time, but there was no income at the time. He said, you know what, why don't you do it? I'll give it a year. I'll support us in that time and see what happens. And so there was really no pressure in that sense that what are we going to do at that mm -hmm. time when we raised money, then it was also exciting because we were still, we had raised a small amount, but we were profitable, you know, at that time. Yeah. So it, the, that pressure wasn't really there. And if you have four or five employees, you're fine. The pressure is much higher now Absolutely. when you have millions invested and you have so many stakeholders and you have so many people whose livelihood uh, relies on you. And this becomes even more glaringly evident in times like um, the coronavirus, because you know, you've seen companies firing left, right, and center, trying to sustain, shutting down. Luckily for us, we're a digital business, so we, you know, have a place uh, to exist, but it's still very hard, and you feel responsible for so many people and making sure that, you know, uh, you can save their jobs. So we've spent a lot Absolutely. of time doing that, but at the same time, extend our runway. So those are the pressures I face now, but I think that's what it is for all entrepreneurs. Malini, how, how large is Team Malini? So we're at 65 people at the moment. Wow. You've come a long way, yeah. like the Virginia Slims ad, right? <laughs> uh, Malini, you know, I still want to, I want to hold on to that thread a just a little longer. Um, were there streams that, you, that seemed exciting as you explore? And like you said, there was no reference point. So, you know, you, the world's your oyster in a sense. And also there's a lot of learning as it happened. Were the things you were convinced about and then mi midway there you said, hey, this is not working and you had to change track. It'll be interesting to see if, how you handled um, situations like that. I think the biggest struggle, honestly, was probably separating Miss Malini from Malini Agarwal because till this day, people still identify the entire brand as only me, but there are 65 mm -hmm. people. I barely blog. In fact, I don't really write any blogs as a team of bloggers. I focus really more on my new initiative, which is Malini's Glow Tribe, and I'm working on yep. my second book. And, you know, for a brand to have longevity, you ask anyone, you have to have, um, you, the, your brand has to live beyond you and outlive you, you know, otherwise the key man insurance is too high that if Malini disappears or gets hit by a bus tomorrow, what does the brand stand for? Absolutely. So I tried to, to, so making that separation, there's two pieces, right? One is the personal anxiety of who am I then, you know, because I thought about it and I was like, okay, if suddenly the Miss Malini handles are owned by someone else, I will disappear. I'd virtually vanish from the internet, which is why I created my Malini Agarwal handles. Um, and similarly explaining to brands and explaining to uh, all the investors that we have so many pieces to the business that function absolutely independent of me. So if you look at the brand, even though it's called Miss Malini, it's the same as a, a Vogue or a Pop Sugar or anyone else. It's just that the name happens to be associated with the person. Similarly, like Oprah has the Harpo Network or Ariana Huffington did the Huffington Post. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's something that slowly people are uh, understanding and getting 
uh, acquainted with. And I think what the benefit for us was the influencer marketing is so big now. So it actually worked to our advantage to have a person attached to the brand. But at the same time, people are fearful that what happens if she leaves or what happens if something happens to her. But so that's been kind of the, you know, the, the, the stuff that I had to learn where I had to sort of undo being the only thing attached to the brand and being the entire brand identity. Um, where, you know, now I've begun to realize that it has to be a whole sort of uh, 360 approach to it. Um, but find a way to align myself with the messaging. So you almost become your own brand ambassador, but you don't have to be the entire brand. Absolutely. And, and that's such a fine line, right? Of yes. Recognizing it first for yourself yeah. and then being able to position it that's you and yet not you. Uh, no, so I have one more question in that same vein, but this is more about entrepreneurial traits. Um, game really is about trying to identify what really makes entrepreneurs tick. Are there a couple of things uh, that we can recognize that exists in most entrepreneurs who make it? Uh, and you know, you, you, you have mindset and you have grit and persistence and different uh, traits that we identify. Do you think there was there's one trait that really held you in good stead, Malini? Something that now that you look back said, you know what? It's because of this that I, I, I got here. I think there's something common with, I mean, they're all, everybody has their own skill sets. But I think one thing I've always seen is um, a good leader is someone who takes the initiative, right? Mm -hmm. And the initiative to learn how to do everything that they're going to ask someone else to do. So since I started the blog, I knew how to edit pictures, how to write, how to do the meta tagging. Uh, edit video. So if you know how to do all the things that people in your team do, then you know how long it takes. You could empathize with the mistakes that are made. Um, and I think that's a really important skill. And most leaders that I've met that are successful know exactly what every role in their company entails and are able to wow. do. Um, and I think that's really, really important. I mean, obviously, there might be some skills where you're uh, a designer and you may not how to, you know, how to do everything for that. You know, you have some people who are more uh, artistically inclined or you have some more people in the business end of it. But I feel as the founder of a company, you should really know the inner workings and all the tools of the trade and understand or make an effort to understand those. Um, for me specifically, I think especially when it comes to female leaders, I think empathy has played a large role. Uh, being aware of the millennial mindset that they're not just looking for a paycheck, they're not just looking for a job, they're looking for emotional satisfaction. They struggle with the idea mm -hmm. that they were brought up in an Insta world where you can order food in an instant, you can get a ride in an instant, you can swipe for a date, uh, but there's no instant job satisfaction. And that's something they struggle with and it's not really their fault. They've been sort of brought up in that environment. So understanding that you know, whenever you give someone an opportunity, you have to understand that they have their own dreams and goals. So whenever we hired someone at Mispalini, we always made sure to understand where do they want to go and what can they do here and apply those skills or learn those skills that will hold them in good stead to get where they eventually want to go. It'll make them work harder. It'll make them more passionate. It'll make them happy. And I'm happy and proud to say that so many people who are ex-employees have gone on to really follow their dreams. Um, whether they've become talent or they've, you know, become influencers in their own right, or they've moved on to uh, really important big roles in larger companies. I think I'm very happy. And I feel that that's as big a success for me as my own personal success. And I think that's been something quite key with most leaders that uh, two pieces. And I remember I got this advice from my boss at MTV, Alex Corvilla. He said, always hire people that can do your job so you can move on to do other things. And I thought that was great advice. And I think that there are two kinds of 
uh, entrepreneurs, those or you know people in power, those that hire below their level because they're afraid that their job will be threatened, and those who look for people who have greater skill, more talent than them, so they can move on and leave their role in good hands. And I think that's always really been something that's allowed me to move forward because the talent I found has been exceptional. I, I cannot agree with you more. I, I find it incredible that um, most leaders don't think like that because I mean, it's almost a no brainer, but I'm glad you called it out. I think it's an important um, leadership quality to call out, especially for middle managers. I yeah. always uh, encourage middle managers to think beyond that position and what the way forward is. So I'm really glad you touched on that, Malini. I want to move track, Malini, to uh, Malini's Girl Tribe. Um, you know, you've, you've set up this inclusive space for women everywhere. What inspired you to uh, start this? So two things. One, whenever new things happen on social media, I'm always curious to try them out. So Facebook was talking about their Facebook groups a lot over and above pages and individual profiles. And they were like, why don't you, you know, we worked with those platforms from the start. So they were like, why don't you try starting a group? And I thought about what this group should be about. I'm like, should it be about Bollywood or fashion or beauty? And none of those things are specifically my forte. So I have people who write about those. And I was thinking about how women probably don't have as safe a space to connect with each other, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll create a community like that just for women. So I added 100 women that I know. And from there, it sort of grew. And now we're at, you know, almost 50,000 women. And this also was born of the idea that, and I'm sure you experienced this yourself, that our mailboxes, our DMs are filled with so much nonsense on a yeah, daily basis. You know, creepy DMs, random messages. And I've asked men so many times and they really don't have that same experience. Very often it's really only women who face this. And I found that as a result, women are not able to use the internet effectively. They're not able to connect with other women because there's so much noise. I mean, by the time I get through my mailbox, I've just been the sensory overdose of negativity. It's, I can't, I don't have the mind space after a point to really connect with people and I don't trust people anymore. And even with women and each other, you know, online, your first reaction, and I've seen the difference on social media where people are quick to react or be defensive or aggressive or attack. It's, it's something that's the norm today. And, but in this group, it's amazing because there's so much empathy and kindness, which is missing on social media. And I always think about the fact that, you know, what is social media? Why did we create it, right? We created social media uh, to create an environment where I can connect with other people around the world on a, at a scale that's not humanly possible, right? I can have 5,000 friends on Facebook or a million followers. And from time to time, I can connect with different people on different things. I could never keep that up in real life. The other thing that happened is we all came online feeling like, oh my God, this is amazing. I can now connect with 3 billion people. I'm going to have so many friends. This is going to be incredible. And I come online and I create a profile and there's silence. Nobody's following me. Nobody's replying to my comments. And it's a very lonely experience. And I, I, you know, I took that thought back and I was like, you know, we thought that we would apply the same logic of um, you know, your P's and Q's of politeness, how to talk to someone, don't invade someone's conversation, don't yell at people, don't stop and stare, that we learned in real life, but we were never taught how to use social media. So we behave online as accidental trolls. We've all done it. You know, I've done it myself when I, you know, used to write my blogs and not uh, say things that I probably would never say to somebody's face. So that's when I went back and made these rules for myself. And the tribe is something that, and, and I hope you're, you're part of it and you, you have a look at the conversations 
it is absolutely incredible that they, the way that women connect and the things they talk about, which means there was just a space missing. Women needed a place to connect and they were not finding it. And it's such an empowering experience. You know, I can give you a couple of examples where there's so many things that women may want to talk about that are not just related to rape and menstruation, right? Women's issues, as we say, everything is a woman's issue, you know, being an entrepreneur, finding love, travel, food, luxury, whatever it is. And people tend to put women's groups in a little box um, where it's the angry girls club, but that's not the case at all. You know, uh, I love men. We are a group of women who really admire positive masculinity. Um, but there's something to be said about how men and women don't play well on the internet together. And so there's an extension to this called the ignore no more online campaign, which is against sexual harassment online. We, you know, I, I realized that especially during the lockdown, you do Instagram lives and you see these awful comments in front of your face and people are just, you know, telling you just ignore it. They're just looking for attention and it's getting worse and worse. And I don't want to live in a world where I bring up children saying, well, you're going to get it online. You're going to get online and guys are going to send you pictures of their privates. And that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. That can't be the world we bring up our children in, especially as the generation that crossed over, you know, the ones who know the difference between online behavior and FOMO and fatigue and um, this uh, anxiety of seeing everyone else live perfect lives. So this is a very honest and open community. There are a lot of celebrities in it, but they're not treated as celebrities. Everybody is a hero. No comment, no post ever goes unanswered. So you don't feel alone, especially at times like the lockdown when you're, you might be absolutely alone and not know how to um, connect with anyone. This is a place to do it. It's and a I safe like, place. It's a right? safe place. There, and the largest thing, which I think people take for granted is empathy, kindness, and positivity goes such a long way in people's mental health um, and emotional connect. And to be able to talk about things like, abortion with a, a calm mind where you're not attacking each other. So the one-off time where someone does have an argument, it stands out so much in the tribe because it's so unlike the norm. Uh, and those are our values, empathy and kindness. I mean, we had a, a lady who said, you know, I don't know how to deal with this. My, I, I found my 12-year-old daughter looking at porn on her phone. And instead of people, you know, ridiculing her or saying nasty things, they said, you know, it's, it's okay. She's hitting puberty. Don't shame her. You should have an open conversation with her now about this and explain the difference between pornography and sex. Um, and you'd never see this kind of mature conversation uh, on other social media because there would definitely be some creeps in between saying awful things. And, you know, I've, I've witnessed that myself, you know, where I put up posts and somebody will say something unkind and it stays with you as much as, you know, you learn how to have thick skin. So this community, I feel, is really going to have a huge impact, especially in India, I can see the difference. Women are helping each other find jobs. They're connecting with each other. There are, you know, a hundred um, spotlight girl type spotlights that we've done that have highlighted women entrepreneurs and, you know, given them a platform where they can now reach an audience of, you know, 50,000 women that are buying their goods. Um, and I think that this is, this is what we need more than public social media. We need to start creating communities. And I think this is the future of influencer marketing and brands as well. Creating community is what's going to really succeed in the next five years. That sounds so powerful, uh, Malini. And it's something I keep thinking about. And I come from a very naive space um, of really not understanding what clicks on, online. So if I ask you a question that's stupid, uh, please forgive me, but it's a question I'm curious about. Um, you know, the way you explained how you've created this safe space in communities, right? And at least in uh, Malini's girl tribe. And then I get on Twitter and I just see these trolls and the worst thing, I'm, I even wonder, how do you even think that? 
you know, to be able to say it, 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 it it's just baffling. Do you think this, what do you think needs to change, especially in today's climate, uh, Malini? Mm -hmm. What can influencers like you do? And I promise this was part of my script when I started asking you this question, but I got so excited by what you're talking about. Is, are there roles that people like you can play in a larger, larger perspective beyond the community to be able to influence change there? Or is it just too large uh, a world out there to be controlled in a larger, I don't know. Was that a, did you get my question? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I understand what you're saying. It seems like anything I do will not mean anything because it's, you know, it's such a big problem. But every little step matters. And, you know, if you look at any big revolution, any big change, started somewhere with some one person saying this is not okay, whether it's women's rights or, you know, Black Lives Matter or the LGBT community, someone started by saying something, right? It wasn't just a global movement from the get-go. And I've seen this, like I said, with the Ignore No More Online initiative. I got tired of ignoring um, nasty comments or trolling or sexual harassment. I got tired of looking at pictures of dicks in my mailbox and just ignoring it because these are things you can't unsee. And I realized the problem here was everybody's facing this, but nobody's addressing it. Because again, like you said, it's like, what can you really do? Do I really want to get involved by going to the police station? Are they going to do anything? So I started to dig deep into what is possible. And you'd be amazed that there are tools, there are services that you can employ. And people don't know that these are actual crimes. Um, it's basically you, you have, uh, there are actually laws in place that say any kind of uh, you know, indecent behavior against a woman's modesty, any kind of stalking, all of these things fall under certain, you know, sections. And you can actually report them. There's a government website, the National Women's Commission of India, the Delhi Commission um, of Women. There's a lot of these resources that are now actively taking this up. And you would have seen recently how a lot of these guys are actually being booked and taken to jail for sending death and rape threats. This is a real crime, even if you're not physically committing it. And so, I, again, I always try to draw the parallel. What would you do in real life if someone mm -hmm. came up to you and dropped their pants or said something nasty? You wouldn't ignore it. You would take them to the police. You would say something. Um, you would say something even if you're not the victim of it, but you saw it happening to someone else. So why don't we do that online? And so this movement started very small. Uh, where we started saying, look, stop ignoring it. I'm going to stop ignoring it. And I'm inspired by Tina Singh, who's this actress and model, who started calling out people who were doing that to her. And she connected me with this cyber ethical hacker called Shubham uh, Cybercop on Instagram. And he actually helped make these phone calls. And you'd be amazed how quickly somebody goes from calling you obscene words to sorry, Didi, when they get one phone call from an ethical hacker because they're afraid, because up till now, they didn't think there was accountability. And it's up to us influencers to spread a couple of things, right? One is awareness that the, uh, these laws exist. You can do something, here's what you can do. Second is lead by example. And I think men have a large role to play. There's a lot of male influencers that have a huge following. Um, and if they start saying, it is not cool to do this, this is not the way to get a girl's attention. Here is the right behavior to approach a woman and respect the distance or respect the no. Somewhere that's going to start playing a role because you look up to people in certain positions and say, I want to be like this person. And if they're consistently telling you, this is behavior that I condone, that this is behavior that I think is cool, they'll want to start being like that. Just the same way that you want to wear the same clothes or the same sunglasses as the, you know, their favorite 
celebrity, right? You'll start aping that behavior. And the third is actually, I think, a much larger piece, which is uh, online gender sensitization at a primary school level. And that's something we're working towards with the, um, you know, ignore no more online campaign, where I think it's up to us as influencers. And it's not just influencers. Everybody is an influencer, right? Everyone everyone who's watching this or listening to this is an influencer with their circle of friends. So even if you began small by telling your 10-year-old cousin, girl or guy, that this is okay and this is not okay, um, don't accept if, if a guy behaves this way with you. Be the kind, and you know, I have a friend who's an a Insta, Instagram influencer called Mumbai Mummy, and she put out something great, and I think a lot of women are saying this now, I'm raising a son that your daughter won't be afraid of. And that always gives me goosebumps because that's the difference. That's where it's going to come from. And every little move towards this makes a difference. Our conversation about this now will make somebody think about this. Um, so, to, you know, to answer your question, it's not impossible. It's some, not something that will change overnight, but you can't give up because of that, because it will just get worse than if you don't say something. And that's where even I realized, and that's why I talk about that a lot. I talk about how I may have been an accidental troll and which is why I have a blanket rule. I'll never write anything I can't say to your face. And it's amazing how much it reali you realize all the things that you may have said or that you were likely to say that you would never really say to someone. And I think it's really important for us to make the effort to explain to people that yes, I also thought that I have to ignore this. As a woman, it's just something I can't uh, do anything about. But it's incredible if you see the response I've gotten to Ignore No More Online from celebrities, from other influencers, from people suffering the same thing, girls and guys saying, I'm so glad that you've empowered me to speak up. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to report it. I'm going to say this guy said this. And it's amazing that a lot of these trolls are now scared. They're like, wow, I didn't expect anyone to say anything. I didn't think there was accountability. There's so many cases of them being 16. They're underage boys who just didn't know any better. And they've actually, you know, done video um, apologies. The parents have called up crying saying, I'm really sorry. I didn't know my son was doing this. So it comes to that as well. You know, a lot of education. And we're not out to put all these guys in, in a position where we're ruining their lives, right? We're actually giving them an opportunity to change before they create some situation for themselves that they can't back out of. Because look at the crime rates, right? Look at the, the, the instances of rape and abuse. Where does it begin? It begins mm -hmm. with someone thinking, this was okay. Something small that I can say this to a girl. I can send this comment. I can threaten her like this. I can virtually do this. And then, well, all of this was okay. So this is somebody who probably thought all of these things were okay and then ended up committing a more violent act. So how do you, from childhood, nobody's born a rapist, right? Exactly. So, you, so how do you get, at what age did that switch flip? And how do you fix that before it becomes something that you punish? More power to you, uh, Malini. This is such an important conversation and uh, I don't think it can be said enough. So I'm glad um, we spoke about that uh, in detail. And, and, you know, like you said, if through this conversation, even a few people uh, understand that. And, uh, and I like especially what you say, right? The accidental troll, how not to be that. Uh, I think that's a very valuable lesson. Um, I have one last largish question, and this is going back to the entrepreneur in you. You're a, you're a role model to a lot of young women. Do you have some, I, I don't like using the word advice, but I'm going to use it because I can't think of one on the spot, to young women starting out as entrepreneurs, telling them what not to do, a mistake you made that you say, hey, listen, watch out for this. 
Yeah, and I think it's such a simple one that we all make is not believing in yourself. Because we've been brought up to think that, hey, women aren't that good at running businesses. They won't really know. Can you hold your own in a boardroom? And very often it wasn't anybody else making me feel that way. It was me. So I'd be sitting in a boardroom or, you know, even a meeting uh, and there'd be 10 guys there. And I'd be sitting there with my, you know, streaked hair thinking, I don't belong here. I don't know what I'm doing. But, you know, to their credit, the guys gave me as much respect. They listened to my opinion. It was me telling myself, you know, and, and I, heard a, I heard something great. I can't remember who told me this, but she said that, you know, we all are victims of this. All women have a voice in their head that says, you're not good enough. You can't do this. You know, somebody's going to say something. They're going to call you out. Um, and this voice, you need to separate it from yourself and think about it as a noisy roommate in your head. Someone you live with, but mm. isn't you. Just like when you leave your apartment, you leave that roommate at home and you empathize with them, but that's not who defines you. You have to start thinking of this insecure voice as that roommate that isn't you. And go with confidence. And confidence is the biggest, best um, ally. It's the biggest skill. And you know, I don't know if you've heard of the power pose where you, before you go into any meeting, just stand with your hands on your hips, with your legs spread apart and just say, I'm, you know, I'm the boss. And it'll give you that little uh, you know, boost up um, and, you know, like I, there are things like I have crippling stage fright. People don't know this. I have my hands sweat. I freak out every time I have to go on stage and speak. I'm very, very nervous about it. But I'm pushing through that by letting leaving that voice at home that tells me that people are judging you or they're laughing at you when they may not be. It's just my, you know, paranoia, which comes from years of this conditioning that I may not be good enough. Absolutely. No, thanks so much for that, Molly. I'm going to end with some our version of the rapid fire. Sure. Um, who's been your icon, Malini? Oh man, there's so many at different times. I think definitely people like Oprah and Ariana Huffington. But after that, I've met so many amazing uh, icons as well. And I have to tell you a story here. I know this is a rapid fire, but, no, but please. I, was, um, I was interviewing Sushmita Sen and I've always, you know, thought she's incredible. And, you know, we had a, like one of those kind of conversations, like you said, where you veer off the interview path. Um, and I asked her about adoption because I was like, I'm considering it and I'd love to know your experience. And she adopted way before it was even something people considered. And she did it as a single woman. And I said, you know, I've come across so many people who say, oh, you shouldn't adopt because it's not your blood. And mm -hmm. what do you say to those people? And she had the best thing to say, which always stayed with me. And it's so simple, but it's so brilliant. She said, you know, think about it this way. When you marry someone, you choose a total stranger that's not a blood relative and say, I'm going to spend the rest of my life attached to this person forever. And the whole world encourage you to, encourages you to do this. They'd laugh, they'd dance, they celebrate at your wedding. So why don't they do the same when you choose that for a child? Because children are even so much more malleable. And I thought that was just the best thing. Wow, that's such a penny drop moment, it's, right? It's brilliant. And it still gives me goosebumps when I think about it. And I'm like, you know, it's so true. And no one's ever put it that way. And you can say this to anyone. And what possible response can they give you other than, you know what? That's so true. Exactly. Um, and so I have to say I admire her a great deal for that. Uh, Malini, do you have a um, lockdown hobby? Everyone's baking. Uh, I feel like there are many bakeries. I haven't, of course, but do you have a lockdown hobby? Yeah, I love making puzzles. I have a 3,000 piece puzzle that's in process currently. Wow, and, and you're making uh, headway there? I yeah. am. I'm a big puzzler. It's something that really calms me and I really enjoy it. Where will Miss Malini, um, not the entity, but Miss Malini, you, where do you see yourself in five years? 
Um, good question. I definitely think I will probably be traveling more. I may move, but I mean, I hope Bombay will always be home. Uh, I hope to have written a couple more books, maybe. And I hope to have really built something out with the Girl Tribe. I think that's the future for me. That's great. My, uh, my last question, Malini, and I ask entrepreneurs this all the time. Uh, success without learning or failure first and then success? but learning a lot. Success without learning or failure first, failure first for sure. Because if you, you know, it's a really simple thing without the bitter, the sweet isn't as sweet. Great. On that note, thank you so much, Malini. Thanks thank for, you for taking the time out. I really enjoyed this conversation. Likewise, likewise. Join us on the road less traveled.